people go to great lengths to obtain what they treasure most. Growing up, I grew up in Winchester on, on Carolina Avenue, and, and our yard was immaculate. We had nice trees out front that were just always looked so sharp, and, and the bushes were just you know trimmed really well. We had flowers. I mean, it was just a, a nice yard. But there was this one side of the house, the north side of our house, that nobody ever went to. And this was kind of an uncultivated uh, strip of property. And there, there was one strip in particular that didn't even have grass, and it was up against the house. There were no bushes, no trees, no, no shrubbery, nothing. No green at all. And that was the only place that my brother and I could do what boys like to do, dig. You ever had, if you have kids, you know, they'll just dig for no reason. You'll just walk out and you'll step in a big hole you didn't remember being there. You're like, what are you, what are you digging for? Oh, I just wanted to put a hole in our yard. But we really enjoyed doing that. And so my, my brother and I, we got this idea that, you know, there's nothing out there. There must be a reason they didn't plant something here. Surely there's some treasure, you know, hidden down here somewhere. So we began to dig and and dig and dig and, and we did this for days and weeks and this may I, I was trying to think about how long of period this this went on for but it's possible this could have gone on for 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 a couple years even that we would just from time to time go out and dig and dig and dig and we came up empty-handed and then one of my one of my neighbors the crazy ones who lied to us told me we could if we kept digging we could dig to china when i turned 16 i figured out that was false you know what we we kept digging and digging and digging, and, and, and finally we, we, we got frustrated because we found nothing, no treasure. And, and we, we came up empty-handed, no, no money. We would have been happy if we found, like, food or something, like Twinkie stashed or something, you know. Nothing like that. And certainly we never made it to China. Who, who, you, know, you know, who would have thought? We were digging in vain. We came up empty-handed. But I, I think that people can relate to us, I think, Every person, metaphorically, in some sense, we all dig for what we value most, don't we? We go through life digging and digging and digging, trying to find that treasure that's going to satisfy our hearts. It's, a, it's a very characteristic of human nature to do this, to, to, to just, you know, use all of our energy and, and, and our spare time and our talents to acquire whatever it is we value most. And we know that, that many people value different things. For instance, there are many in, in our country and around the world who value and treasure fortune above all things. And they'll do whatever they can to get money, to get possessions, to acquire stuff. They want this luxurious lifestyle, but it's interesting when they find it. They get the bigger house and they get the nicer car they get the fancier clothing and they get, the, you, you know, even a fat checking account. They realize that those things really aren't treasure. They're not satisfying. They come up kind of empty-handed still. People treasure money. There, there's some people who treasure fame. They do whatever they can to get famous. It's, it's interesting. It's a lot easier to get famous today with the Internet. There's some crazy people that are famous. Remember the, the lady uh, with, with the... Uh, what, what was it? Chewbacca mask. Remember her? And just from putting a mask on and laughing, she went. Her, her video went viral, and she was on talk shows and TV shows, and was given trips and all this these things. And people want to be famous. Many people. 
And so they'll do whatever they can to get famous. And then there's people who are, they treasure power. They just want to be in charge, and they'll do whatever they can to, to get in kind of this uh, position where they can be almost, a, they wouldn't call it a, a dictatorship, but many people want that. They want to be in charge. There's some people who it's all about their career, and they don't care who they have to step on to climb the corporate ladder. It's what they treasure most. And so it doesn't matter. They just want the treasure. Careers. Then there's some people that just will go to great lengths. We see this today, and this is a, a good aim. It's to have a family. And, and they'll, they'll go to great lengths. There, there's so many things you can do now for infertility. And, and, and so there, there are many people. That's just their, their treasure. And that's a, these are not bad things, by the way. We just shouldn't treasure them most. There are people that their treasure is a, a spouse. They want to acquire a spouse, and they'll do anything. They'll say anything. They'll go anywhere because they just want a ring on that finger. And then there's other people. Don't say amen to this if you're sitting next to your spouse, especially. They would do anything to get rid of a spouse, right? Yeah, okay. I, I know you can't respond to that. There's some people that it's a hobby. I mean, something as simple as a hobby or a, a kind of a, a leisure of sort. For other, it's nature itself, the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's what they treasure most. That's what they value most. They're, they're just taken back by the, the beauty of the heavens and the earth. And they do what the Bible talks about, and they, cre- they, they worship the creation rather than the creator. And this list is not exhaustive. I mean, we could go on and on and on with, with possibilities. But the question that I want to pose to you today, and I believe it's one of eternal significance is what is your treasure? What is it that you treasure most? That's what we mean when we're talking about treasure. We mean what is it that you value most? We value many things, and we should. I value my family. I value my ministry. I value each of you. But but none of those things or people is what I value most. What is your treasure? What is it or, or, or whom is it that you love most? What, what do you find most valuable? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Who, who do you adore the most? What are you pursuing with all of your heart? What or who gets the majority of your energy? What do you treasure? Matthew 6, 21 Jesus says these powerful words, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see the importance of the question now, don't you? What is it that you treasure? Why is that important, Pastor? Well, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So I've been a Christian for 32 years now. I I grew up in in a great church, a, a big church in in Winchester, but I grew up on on what I would call white-knuckle preaching, where preachers and teachers and mentors put the fear of God in you. How many grew up like that? And and, and the message is always, do better, try harder, keep the commandments, And, and I found myself, even through most of my pastoral years, just extremely frustrated because I f- never felt quite good enough. I, I felt unfulfilled. I, I felt I've got to try harder and try harder. And I was always just working to be a good Christian. Now, we should aspire to be good Christians. 
But in recent years, I came across a, an admonition, I'll call it, from Pastor John Piper that has absolutely revolutionized my life, my ministry, my family. And it has caused my Christian walk to become so much more fulfilling. It's been a catalyst that has kind of helped me overflow with, with deep joy and genuine passion for the things of God even in the midst of trying circumstances. And here's what it is. This biblical admonition is to treasure Jesus Christ above all things. Now, if I were to ask you, who do you love most? What do you love most in life? Most of you know the Christian answer, and you would say, oh, Jesus. But do you really treasure Him? Do you really love Him most? This is what it means to treasure Christ above all things. It, it, it is seeing and savoring. I like that word, to savor. It is seeing and savoring, as, as Dr. Piper puts it, the supremacy of Christ above all things. Do you meditate on Jesus? Do you meditate about His goodness? Do you think on His goodness? Do you think of His beauty and His infinite value? To treasure Jesus above all things is to recognize and love and to cherish Jesus Christ. It's to, it's to love and, and consider the sufficiency of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the value of Christ. And as real followers of Jesus, He must be our treasure. This is not optional. So really considering the infinite value of Jesus has caused my view of God to be incredibly magnified. My trust in Him has skyrocketed, and the reality of my joy in Him has immensely increased. I am more than ever in my life content. Not complacent, I'm content. My entire life, I've always been looking ahead to the next thing, to the next thing, because I was never satisfied. But when you realize who Jesus is, you get a glimpse of what Paul was talking about when he sat in a Roman prison cell and, and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That wasn't a plea to, to win a basketball game or to pass a test. He was sitting there and he said, I know what it's like to have much and I know what it's like to be abased, to have nothing. And none of those things changes, is what he's saying, who I am, my joy, my peace, my comfort, because Jesus Christ is Paul's sufficiency and is my sufficiency. When we think on his goodness, when we consider his infinite value, friends, we can walk in joy no matter what we are facing. We can walk in victory no matter what we're facing. We have an awesome Savior and we must treasure him together if we're going to be satisfied. So this admonition to treasure Christ above all things has become my aim it's my prayer. It's my life. I, I almost want to call it my mantra now. And, and I want to be, I want it to become the pursuit of real life community church. I want people to see this, us. In, in, and I don't want them just to talk about the preaching. I don't want them just to talk about the music. I don't want them just to talk about those people are so nice. I hope they like all those things. But I hope one thing that people always say about our church is those people treasure Jesus above all things. It's all about Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And that means as a church that we will pray this year and always that God would move in such a way that we as a community and as individuals that we would see and we would savor the infinite value of our great Savior and that we would pursue Him with all our hearts. So that's the goal. Are you with me? So our text in Matthew thirteen forty four is an incredibly short parable, and it's so remarkably profound, isn't it? Let me just read this first part again, Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, I want to begin by, by talking for a moment about the kingdom of heaven. The Bible talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The New Testament talks a lot about it. And there's a lot of confusion regarding the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't understand what the kingdom is you're going to misinterpret, misunderstand the, the Bible. So this is, this is paramount, this is vital to, to grasping the Word of God. So let's, let's discuss for a moment the kingdom of heaven. If you have your notes, you can write this down first. This is very important. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are synonymous. If you don't understand this, you will misinterpret Scripture. And there's many preachers who, who do this. This is my understanding of the Scripture. Why is it in, in Matthew's Gospel here that he says kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God? You ever thought about that? Well, why is it that Matthew doesn't just say kingdom of God, which is the norm for this phrase? Well, Matthew wrote this Gospel with a Jewish audience in mind. That The point of it was primarily a, an evangelistic tool. It was to be an evangelistic tool. To reach his fellow Jews, his brothers. Jews took the commandment, as you know, not to take the name of the Lord in vain very, very seriously. And might I add, I wish people took it a little more seriously today. Have you, have you heard? Just I mean, it's just, and I'm talking Christians, it just flies out of their mouth. The Jews were so, and, and, and Orthodox Jews today are still this way, many of them. They're so serious about this command that the best way for them to make sure they don't take the Lord's name in vain would be to what? Not say it at all. Then they would never be guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain. So often, in place of the word God or Yahweh, they would use the word blessed or blessed or the word heaven. And so Matthew is writing with a Jewish audience in mind. And if these are not people who are in, in, in Christ, they're new to the faith and they're kind of skeptical. They may come to this and, and, and see this and believe that it is in vain. and It, it may be a hindrance to them. So, so Matthew uses this word, kingdom of heaven, just out of, I believe, great respect for his Jewish audience. Matter of fact, I was reading a, a book by a Jewish rabbi two years ago, three years ago, called The Blessing of Enough. And in this book, over and over, he's not a Messianic Jew. But over and over in this book, the word God would be G hyphen D. 2000, whatever it was when I, when I read that book. And he still will not even write in, in a religious context the word God. So it's, it's important that you understand that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are, are virtually the same thing. Secondly... The kingdom of God refers more to the reign of God than the realm of God. The kingdom of God refers more to the reign of God than the realm of God. So when we think of the word kingdom, our minds often go to a territory. I'll give you an example. United Kingdom. Right? You think of England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. You think of a, a territory. 
So often we associate the kingdom with a place, but more often in the Bible, the kingdom is referring to the rule and the reign of God, not the realm of God. And, and, and with this thought in mind, there are two different scopes of God's reign in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a very wide view of God's kingdom given, and, 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 and it's talking about the rule and, and, and the sovereignty of our mighty God. He is on the throne. He is sovereign. How many believe that? Let me give you an example. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. We don't have to put Him there. He got there all by Himself. And His dominion, I'm, excuse me, and His kingdom rules over all. Hallelujah. He's given uh, uh, authorities. He's released some authority on this earth. But don't you ever for a minute think that God is still not sovereign. Friends, we serve a sovereign and a mighty God. And you may uh, think at times, man... What purpose could God have in this? Is he really, does he know what's going on? Has this caught him by surprise? No, sir. He knew the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. We serve a mighty God. In Daniel 4, verse 3, King Nebuchadnezzar says, God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. As a matter of fact, just so you know, just so we're clear, no matter what the world looks like, it may look like it's moving away away from God's kingdom, but I want you to know it's a setup because his kingdom is never going away. So that's a wide view of the kingdom of God. So in one sense, when you look at this, you could say, well, everything is part of God's kingdom because he owns the the earth and and all that's within. He owns the universe. So this is, in a sense, God's kingdom. But the New Testament brings a more narrow scope to the kingdom of God. And this is what we're often talking about when we're referring to the kingdom. This is what the New Testament is referring to when it talks about the kingdom of God. So the narrow scope has to do with God's saving reign. So in this this sense, the kingdom of God is a spiritual reign. God rules over the lives of men and women who hallow His name, who willfully and joyfully submit to Him. Okay, those people are part of the, the, the kingdom of God as the New Testament speaks of it. In John eighteen thirty six, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So this scope of the kingdom of God, I want you to get this, can be equated with the sphere of salvation. And this can clearly be seen, in, in, for example, in John 3.3. 3. Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and he says this, Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God, So to be part of the kingdom of God is to be what we call saved. It is to be part of the family of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I'm not just part of the, the wide view of God's kingdom, that I'm in His family. Hallelujah! That I'm in this narrow scope of the kingdom of God because of Jesus Christ. So the, I just want to reiterate this so the rest of the sermon will make sense to you. To be part of the kingdom of God is to be saved. It's to have eternal life. It's to be a son or a daughter of God. Now, one more thing I'll say about the the kingdom. 
And it's this, that this reign of God's kingdom is both present now, so God's kingdom is here in a sense, and, and this is important, only in part, and His kingdom is yet to come. So we have a foretaste now. It's only going to get better. It's good now. But you can't even comprehend what's coming. Hallelujah. Let me just quote Dr. Piper on this who says, talks about this so eloquently. He says, quote, This reign is present in part but will be consummated at the second coming of Christ. So the blessings we have now in Christ are great. Forgiveness, imputed righteousness, acceptance with the Father, no condemnation, the fellowship of Jesus by His Spirit in our lives, progressive transformation into His likeness. This is all now. Gifts of the Spirit, usefulness and ministry, all things working together for our good, so on and so forth. But he says the fullness of our inheritance awaits the coming of Christ. No more sinning, no more sickness, no more injury, no more calamity, no more depression or spiritual warfare, no more ethnic strife or racism, hallelujah, no more war, no more death, hallelujah. All that will come with the final consummation of the kingdom, end quote. So we get a foretaste right now. But oh, friends, it's going to get so much better for those of us who are in Christ so when Jesus is talking here about the kingdom of heaven, I believe he's talking about this narrow scope of the kingdom, namely God's spiritual reign. He's talking about eternal life, the family of God. And so with that in mind, I want to read this passage one more time in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Okay, so you understand here what he's talking about. Which a man found and covered up, then in his joy... Don't miss that. He goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What is it that is the greatest treasure within the kingdom? I mean, let me say it like this. What, what is it that makes the, king, the kingdom of God so valuable? This man in the parable, moments before, had not even considered purchasing this field. But after finding this treasure... He sells everything to obtain it. This is radical. This is radical. What is it that's so valuable? I, I remember, I, I can, you know, just moments back in your life, how you, can, like you, you can picture just being right there. You can vividly paint that picture again of that specific moment. It was geometry class of my junior year. And my bride walked in. And she, for a moment, I had a little rebellious heart then. It wasn't always for Jesus. And it was for Nikki. I don't think I learned anything that year. Because school didn't matter. My job didn't matter. My music didn't matter. I was writing songs for Jesus. And I started writing love songs. Because she became that pursuit of my, my life. So here's a man in a field and that's what happens to him. He's walking and he has, he, I don't know how much stuff he had, how, how rich he was. I don't know how many possessions he'd acquired, but he's walking through this field and he comes up upon a treasure and he goes and he covers it and he says, man, I'm going to get this field because I want this treasure. And he joyfully sells everything he had, gets rid of it all because none of it matters anymore. 
So remember, the kingdom of God is used here has to do with God's saving reign with eternal life. Now think about this. Eternal life is a major theme throughout the New Testament. One of our most quoted verses is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life. Everlasting life. This is what the New Testament so often talks about. But though eternal life is one of the focuses of Christianity, the Bible really gives us little description of what it will actually be like. We just don't know. There's a, there's a lot of things we don't know about eternal life. Why is this? Well, there's at least two reasons, I believe. One is this. Our minds could not comprehend the reality of the new heavens and the new earth and the bliss of eternity for the Christian. I don't think we could in any way comprehend it. The, the Scripture verifies this. 1 Corinthians 2.9, as it is written, What Noah has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. You, you can't even dream up. If you were given a scratch pad and say, make, make the new heavens and the new earth entail what you want. And you might think of somewhere like Cancun or Jamaica or, or some beautiful place that you have. A, it, for, for some of you, I know we have a lot of hunters and fishermen. It might be somewhere in the, a cabin in the woods. None of that holds a candle. You can't even think up because nothing in your life, no, your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard anything that comes close to how wonderful and glorious eternity is going to be. That's one reason. We, we simply couldn't handle it. We couldn't comprehend it. I don't know if there are words that could effectively describe what's coming. But there's another reason I believe the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the experience of eternity, the place of eternity, in great detail. And this comes from a writer by the name of John Bloom, and and I, I love this, who says that the Scriptures do not give us more of a description of eternal life because eternal life is more about a person than it is a place. What is the greatest treasure of the kingdom? What's the greatest news about being saved? Is it the streets of gold that we sing about? Is it it no more tears? That's a good thing. Is it no more battle with sin? Is Is it the rewards? Is it no more sickness? Is it the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth? Is it perfect peace? Well, friends, all of these are are great benefits of the kingdom of God, but the greatest treasure, don't miss this, of the kingdom of God is God Himself. It is knowing Christ and being with Him forever. If we had all of those things and had not Christ, we'd have nothing. Jesus is the treasure. Hallelujah. As John Bloom puts it, he says, quote, The heaven of the age to come, the treasure of treasures, will be God Himself, knowing and being with the one from whom all blessings flow. Hallelujah. End quote. Christ is the prize. He's the treasure to which all other things pale in comparison. See, this is the greatest news of eternal life. We get Jesus We get Jesus. The one who rules the universe. We get to be with Him forever. Jesus even knew this. Listen to what He prays in John 17, 1. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. John chapter 17. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, to all who you've given him. Now watch verse 3. And this is eternal life. Here it is. What's eternal life? Here it is. That they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? What is the treasure of the kingdom? It's Jesus. It's being with God himself. Jesus, friends, is the treasure. Now there's a great picture of this in Philippians chapter 3. Treasuring Christ above all things. When you get a glimpse of this, when you meditate on this, nothing else matters to any degree. No circumstances can get you off course when you understand who Jesus is, what you have now in Him, and what's coming. I want you to look look at the Apostle Paul's words, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He's, He's writing from prison and he says these words, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing Worth, and here it is, it's not the blessings. The blessings are great. It's not the rewards. It's not the mansions. It's not the streets of gold. Here's what he counts everything is lost for. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's the treasure. There's the pinnacle of our faith. the, The greatest part of eternity. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. Is this not the man in the parable? And I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. Now, if you don't know about Paul, that may not mean much to you, but but he had a lot before he was a Christian. It cost him a lot. I'll be preaching on this text next week, but let me just say this, that Paul's life was not easy. He, He lost a lot. He suffered tremendously for the sake of the gospel. But he said, all the things I've lost, the money, the friends that abandoned me, the fame... The torment I've been through, the, you know, the, the, I, ha- I had a good life and now I'm in a prison cell. And he said, I don't care because I get Jesus. He's the treasure. And when you have the treasure, what can man do to you? Really? What can man do to you? What else is it you need? What does the enemy, what's the devil himself have to bring against you? If Jesus is on your side, if you're on His side, if you're one in Him and you're more than a conqueror, you can take whatever the enemy will send your way and you can smile in the process because you have Jesus and that can never be taken from you. Hallelujah. The man of the parable, he, he values so much the treasure he found. He changed his whole lifestyle. Now, this does not mean that you can... Buy the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you can't buy your way in. It means that this man loved the kingdom of God. He loved the treasure of the kingdom of God more than anything else in his life. So much that he said, none of this matters to me anymore. Just take it. Just, you remember the rich man who came to Jesus and he wanted to be saved. And, and he said, well, I, I really try to keep the commandments. I do all these things. And, and Jesus says, well, sell your stuff and come follow me. And the Bible says the man went away sad. You know what that is? Is it that if we for anybody that comes in the kingdom that we have to go and we have to sell everything? No. 
Jesus saw something that money ruled his heart. He revealed something in that conversation. This man wanted Jesus. He just wanted his money more. You, you see how this works? To treasure Christ is to value Him most. So if it costs you everything, if it costs you everything you have, even your life, then you say, take it, take it, that I may have Christ. He's the most valuable thing. He's so precious to me. That's what it means to treasure Christ. Let me give you one more scripture here. John 17 and verse 24. Still part of this prayer that Jesus is praying. He says, Father... I desire that they also, whom you've given me, he had been praying for just his disciples. Now he says, all the ones you've given me. So I love this. Jesus is praying for you right here. Isn't that incredible? Whom you've given me. He said, I pray that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. See, Jesus is all-knowing. And he knows that he's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only one who satisfies. So as he's praying for us, to, as he's praying for everyone that would ever call him Lord, he says, here's what I pray. He wants us to be satisfied. And he, he doesn't pray for us to be... He doesn't pray anything about the blessings or, or, the, or anything. He says, I, I pray that they may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' longing is for us ultimately to be with him. It just blows my mind. He wants to be with us. That's what he's praying for. To experience the fullness of the kingdom. This is the culmination of the gospel. Jesus is the treasure spoken of in this parable. And the greatest part about the kingdom of God, I'll say it again, is that we get Jesus. Hallelujah. We have a foretaste now. It's good to walk with him now. But in the end, those of us who are real followers of Jesus, who have been what the Bible calls born again, those who have trusted in Him as not just Savior, but Lord, will enjoy that treasure in completeness forever. Forever. So let me ask you, do you really treasure Jesus? To know Christ in this way is everything. If you find yourself down and burdened and, and up and down, up and down, up and down, fight for this to treasure Him above all things. After many hours and sessions of digging on the north side of Carolina Avenue, my brother and I came up empty-handed found nothing of value. Brother Wayne, we, we did find a couple of fishing worms. But outside of that, we found nothing. Our digging was in vain. To have been so excited, I, I would think in my mind of plans. When we find this treasure chest full of gold, here's what we're going to do with it. We had it spent. It's going to be so satisfying. To, to have put so many hours in, yet not to, yet to find nothing of value was disappointing at, at best. We're all digging for something. Many people in this world are digging in vain. They're pursuing at great lengths the treasures of this world and not the greatest treasure, namely Christ. 
And in all their digging, they're working, they're obtaining, they're achieving. In the end, it means nothing. It'll all be burnt up. It won't matter. The digging, the hard work, without Christ, is in vain and it's pointless. And it's hurting you, not helping you. Some of you today may not know Jesus. Maybe this is the first time and you feel like you're walking through the field and all of a sudden, by the preaching of the word, you feel like you've come upon the treasure and I rejoice with you today. Oh, I hope that's you. And if I, I pray that if that is you, that you will be like the man in the parable and you'll cling to Jesus today. You'll say, if it costs me everything I have, I just want Him 